thirsty for. We're going to just kind of pick up where we left off. Something we say around here a lot is that it's okay to not be okay, but it's... We, we have a lot of it's okay to not be okay sermons. This is and it's not okay to stay that way sermon. You okay with that? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, everybody in the room. I'm going to ask you, as if we needed to, but I understand that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and He doesn't go where He's not invited. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to give Him access to your soul this morning. And instead of looking at this sermon as, oh, I hope so-and-so hears this and applies it to their life, I'm going to ask you to hear it and apply it to yours. What I've done this morning is I've asked the Lord to only let come out of my mouth what He would be pleased with and what we, and notice that word we, need to hear. So I'm going to challenge you this morning to give the Holy Spirit access to your soul. Jesus said these words to the woman at the well. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Pray with me. Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Lord, you alone can change seasons and you alone can change hearts. And you alone can change lives with your words of eternal life and your powerful, quenching, living water. Would you do that today in all of us? In Jesus' name. Everybody said. So before we talk about the woman at the well, here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to back up about 600 years before the woman at the well. And I want us to look at the context that this story of the woman at the well, and maybe you're here and, and you say, I don't really know the story of the woman at the well. Well, I'm just going to ask you to hang on a minute because you're going to know it here in just a little while. But I want you, before I talk to you about the story of the woman at the well, I want you to see a little bit of history about what these words that Jesus spoke to this woman What kind of context they might have been spoken into. So to do that, we're going to go back 600 years, and I'm going to take you to Jeremiah chapter 2. Be on the screen behind me. <clears throat> and we're going to look at some very powerful, sobering words from Jeremiah. And he says this, Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones? Even though they are not gods at all, look at this, yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. See, Israel had this habit. They would, they would model their idolatry from their neighboring countries. In other words, Israel had a habit of instead of influencing their culture to let their culture influence them. And God was telling Israel, these pagan nations that surround you are more faithful to their dead gods than you are to your life one. How can people be more faithful to a dead God who'd done nothing for them 
while Israel walked away from a God who'd been blessing them for literally thousands of years. (laughs) And before we point a finger at Israel, can we look in a mirror? Because I'm afraid that we've done the exact same thing that we've modeled our idolatry from the culture around us and we've let them far more influence us than we've influenced them. And I believe that in these days, y'all listen, this is not an end time sermon, but we are in those times. In these last days, that has to stop. If there's ever been a time for Christian people to be people of influence, if there's ever been a time when the church should be influencing the culture, it is now. He said, they're more faithful to their dead gods than you are to me. So I wonder if there's anything in your life, anything in my life that's captured our attention, captured our allegiance beyond our allegiance to God. And oh, by the way, if that's the case, if there's something in my life that's captured my allegiance more than I'm aligned to God, then that thing is an idol. If I'm more faithful to my wife than I am to my God, then she's an idol. If I'm more faithful to my job than I am my God, then my job is an idol. And oh, by the way, I'm not telling you to be less faithful to your spouse and less faithful to your job. I'm imploring you and imploring me. Let's make sure that our greatest allegiance is not to any of these things in our world, but our greatest allegiance is to the God who loved us and saved us and given us life and living water. Maybe maybe it looks like this. I had a beautiful opportunity this past Thursday night to go to a Braves game. I'm quite enamored with the Atlanta Braves, have been. For a very, very, very long time. But I'd like to give you a two-minute snapshot of what that evening looked like for Dwayne. So I, I leave my house three hours before game time. Three hours before game time and pick up my compatriots for the evening. And we fought traffic in Atlanta, Georgia for a significant period of time. Parked a significant distance away from the stadium and walked along with several thousand other fans. We walked elbow to elbow with folks from every tribe and tongue and nation to get to our seats, elbow to elbow. Sat down in our seats and in front of me, there was a wealthy Chicago Cubs fan. How do I know he was wealthy? I'm going to tell you how I know he was wealthy. Because he drank $10 Coors Light from the time we sat down until it was time to go. One right after the other. And I'm like, that dude is not only drunk, but he's wealthy. I told Tim, I was like, who can afford to get drunk in here? That was in front of me. Behind me. There was a lovely, beautiful, young 13-year-old girl who was very excited to be there. In fact, every time Dansby Swanson came to the plate, she would scream in a tone and a pitch that only dogs could hear, I guess, (laughs) that shattered the atmosphere with this pitch. She filled her precious little 13-year-old lungs with every ounce of air that she could get and expelled it all at once. It was great. We sat there in a very hard plastic chair for the better part of three and a half hours rooting our team on. 
Oh, chairs, by the way, that were created for 170-pound men. I'm not 170 pounds. Because I'm, I don't see all that well, I, I wound up watching a significant part of the game on the television monitor above our seats. Paid $8 for a cold hot dog, $7.50 for a Coke Zero. Loved every moment of it. After our tremendous victory that evening at the stadium, we took the same trek back that we took to get to the stadium, arm in arm, elbow to elbow, back to the truck, and then sat in that truck in that parking lot for about a half an hour to get out of the parking lot. Started to make our way home, and because Dwayne ignored his GPS, we wound up sitting in traffic and going 20 miles out of our way to finally get back to our original destination, dropped everybody off, went up. My wife was long since asleep. It was well past midnight. I laid my head back on my pillow, and I said, that was awesome. <laughs> and I thought, I'd go again tomorrow night in a heartbeat. The sobering part of that story is that if the church experience looked anything like a professional sports experience, churches all across this nation would be empty this morning. We won't be inconvenienced to worship God. We won't be inconvenienced to worship the God of the universe, but we'll do whatever's necessary to bow at the, culture of, uh, bow at the altar of popular culture. Verse 12 says it this way. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. Now, God's not shocked. How I many know you can't shock God? The Bible says the heavens are blown away that God's creatures, God's people would behave like that. You're going to see... Maybe they've got a better glimpse of who God is than you do and I do. But they're blown away to the thought that his people would abandon them, abandon him. Listen, if you do something that shocks heaven, verse 13 says it this way, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me. Did, did you get that? They have, they have abandoned me. They've done something to me that I promised I would never do to them. They have abandoned me. The fountain of living water. And they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Let me explain to you what a cistern was then and what it really is now it's really a hole in the ground that they would dig to capture rainwater because except for just unique places in in that part of the world there's not a lot of local water there's you have to you have to go to it it doesn't come to you and so they would dig these cisterns to capture rainwater. Joseph's pit that his brothers threw him in was most likely a dry, dead cistern. See, being able to drink water from your own cistern was a sign of wealth and affluence in that culture. And this passage tells us that an entire nation walked away from living water so they could dig their own hole in the ground. I wonder if you and I have done the same thing. I wonder if you and I have dug our own cisterns. I'll, I'll tell you of a couple that, I, that I've seen and maybe experienced in my own life. Cisterns of apathy. In other words, 
Y'all just got to forgive me this morning. Um, I told them in the, uh, in the prayer room that I was burdened. It's a good burden, but it's burdened nonetheless. Cistern of apathy. You know what that, you know what that looks like? It's, you're interested in God. But he's, it's just not that big a deal to you. Maybe we built cisterns of religion. Can I tell you, I built one for a long time. We're more interested in the, in the function of our religious practice than we are the object of our worship. And, and, and this is what that might look like. We, we, we come to church on a Sunday morning and check off the God box. We don't have an active relationship with something that's alive. We have chosen instead to spend our time and effort and energy on a, on a Sunday just in a... See, listen, as alive as this place is, if you're not connected to a living God, it's just religion, and it's just dead. And it'll leave you dry. See, if you come in this building Sunday after Sunday, you turn this thing on week after week after week, and, and you don't have an encounter with the living God, then it's just religion, and it's just stuff, and it means nothing. It's just a show. It's just entertainment, if that. And that's never what it was intended to be. But we've created those cisterns that won't hold water because we'd rather do that than come face to face with a God who is very much alive. Maybe we built cisterns of success. I'm more interested in this world affirming my life and climbing some godless ladder of success than I am laying up a treasure in heaven. We built cisterns of lust where I'm really more interested in satisfying some desire of my own than I am drinking from the fountain of living water. We built cisterns of pride where we think this world, my family, my life, this church is really just all about me. Instead of living a life, consuming living water that we would soon learn that it really is all about him. And even these harsh words that, that we, we find in the Old Testament are words of love because God's saying, that's not what I intended for you. This path that you've, you've traveled away from me is not what I intended. I, I want you to have life. That's why I want you to have living water. Because listen, you'll never find living water in a dead vessel. <clears throat> Israel's cisterns were their choice to pursue cheap imitation water. And listen, we've done the same thing. Can I, can I tell you what it looks like in modern Christian culture? We, listen, we, we've got some of the most fantastic preachers, some of the most fantastic churches, some of the most incredible music, musicians. I almost said that right. That the world's ever seen. And you've got daily access to them. All you've got to have is a phone with a YouTube account. But we've traded a relationship with God for the latest cool worship song. And while I, I love worship music, it's, it's a cheap imitation of what God really wants to do in our life. If that's all it is, 
If all it is are chords and progressions and lyrics and they're not attached to a heart that is completely his, it's a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal and nothing more. We're trying to put living water in a dead vessel. And God's saying, that's never what I intended for you. Dead gods and false idols. You know what happens? The moment you separate water from its source, it starts to die. Here's a question. If I told you this water was clean and fresh and this glass was fresh and no one has drunk from this glass from the moment that, that it, it was washed and you were thirsty... Would you come and drink from this glass? Wave at me if you would. Okay. I just lost some of you. What if, after seeing what you'd just seen, you came back next week and the same glass with the same water was sitting right where it is now and you were thirsty would you come drink then? Depends on how thirsty you are, right? What if you came back in 45 days? Same glass, same water, except now it looks a little murky and green. How thirsty would you have to be? You know what happens? When we separate the water from the source, sooner or later that water's going to die. And that's what God was saying about those cisterns. It's not going to hold fresh water. In fact, without a, a continual flow of rainwater, sooner or later, it's going to get dry. And that's what God called his people. You're dry. You can't hold water. And you certainly can't create any of your own. We've tried. We've tried to make the living water fit into our vessels. And let me tell you what that looks like right now in our culture and in churches. And you guys know I don't beat up other churches. That's not what I'm about. I, I, don't, I don't beat up other pastors. Listen, the old Rustaff song says, if you believe in Jesus, you belong with me. I believe that, all right? But I, I, I'm just... I'm disturbed because here's what we've done is we've taken God's word and we've tossed it aside and tried to make the living water fit in by our parameters. We've said, listen, we know what the Bible says about certain issues, but we don't like that. So we're going to try to make that fit in, in our parameters. We want God, but we want him on our terms. He'll never fit inside the pit that you've dug for him. He's an artesian spring. Full of life. And he'll only be defined by one thing. And it's not you. And it's not me. He'll only be defined by himself. The living water can only be defined by the living word. You don't have a blank for that, but you ought to write that down. The living water will only be defined by the living word. And so I've taken this time this morning to, to show you the kind of context that Israel was in before this encounter with the woman at the well. And so here's my question for you. If you were God or I were God how would you react? If you were God and your creation said, I'd just soon do things my own way. If you were God, I'm I know what I'd do. Here I am offering you limitless resources and abundant life, and you want to do things your own way? Dwayne would say, have at it. Go your own way. You're glad, and so am I. That I'm not God. Isn't that, isn't that what we would expect him to do? 
That's not what he did. That's not what he did at all. Into a culture that had walked away from him and had resigned, even at the time of Christ, their relationship with God had become a hard, dead, rule-based religion. And it was lifeless. So how did God react? If you only knew. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah, exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything, 
and sort this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Your water! You forgot your um. Papsi, your man, you told me everything I ever did! <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah. I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Could it could it be that simple? By every imaginable standard, this woman had no business talking to the Son of God. But he went out of his way, surrounded by Jewish people, went through a town that his own people hated, and revealed himself to a woman that his own people said, can't come to my temple. Here's what you need to know. When you drink the living water, your purpose doesn't have to be defined by your past. And that's good news. <laughs> that spot was had an incredible history. It's Jacob's well. On that spot, Joshua made a covenant with Israel. You might have heard it. You've probably seen it in a on a Facebook meme that says, for as me as my and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's where he said it. The Jews hated that spot after, after the Samaritans moved in, and so they renamed it 
They renamed this, that city and the town and that spot where it, the, the very name of the town meant drunkard. That's the spot Jesus said, I'm here. And, and he looked at that woman just like he looks at you and me and all who will come. He, he said, I'm here and I'm here for you. And that is good news. Because the living water will transform your history into your heritage. Did you see her reaction? She left everything. And all she could say was, come see a man. We cannot lose that awe and wonder of a Jesus that loved us just where we were, just like we are, and is changing us and molding us into something that he can use. We cannot lose the awe and wonder of a God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. We can't lose the awe and wonder that the thief comes to steal and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundant. We can't lose the awe and wonder of a God who loves us so desperately that even though we abandoned him, he promised to never abandon us and to help us walk away from those broken cisterns that won't hold water and to give us once again living water that brings and springs eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all the times in my life I've tried to just build my own sister, to try to do things my own way. You know, sometimes, sometimes I'm aware that, uh, you know, the, the woman, at least in that story that we just watched, you, you don't understand. I can't even thank God because they won't let me in the temple. My own people won't even come to this well with me. The very thing that disqualified the woman at the well from worshiping at the temple qualified her to take a drink of the living water. She wasn't welcome at the temple. She wasn't born to the right parents. She wasn't born in the right place. She couldn't get to God. She couldn't get to God. So God came to her. Oh, by the way, you can't get to God either. So what did God do? He came to you. He came to me. She wasn't even welcome at the well. Her sin had caused her to be ostracized by her entire community. So Jesus intentionally walked through Samaria and sat at that well, knowing she was on her way. Jesus came to her on purpose he could have announced who he was to the highest priests and the governmental authorities but he chose to announce who he was to a woman who was broke busted and disgusted why would he do that why would he do that because from that point forward, the message of the gospel isn't for the holy, and it isn't for the well, and it isn't for the rich. The message of the gospel isn't for those that's got their stuff together. The message of the gospel is for the least of these. That's me and you today. So why? Why? Would we abandon that for our own way? Doesn't make sense, does it? 
No, it doesn't. And it shocks heaven when we do. Here's what happens. Living water changes everything. Everything. So maybe you're here, and here's your thought. Oh, I hope some of these other people take a drink of living water. Stop. Stop. You take a drink. You open your heart to a God who so desperately loves you and let Him reveal what cistern you've built. Donna's going to come. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your head? and your heart and then and in this moment oftentimes I'll ask you to pray for somebody sitting beside you I'll ask you to pray for someone who might be making a decision today I'm going to ask you to turn that inward Everybody in the room, I'm not going to ask you for hands. I'm not going to ask you to look at me. Because, see, I, I genuinely believe that everybody in this room, your pastor included, needs to take a drink of living water. And, and what I mean by that is we've all dug our own pit, trying to do things our own way. So I'm going to challenge you today. Donna's going to just softly just sing this chorus. And it says, I'll build my life on your love, oh God. As she sings, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to sing along. I want you to pray a very dangerous prayer. Lord, search my heart. If there's a cistern there, if there's a pit there. If I've tried, if I've abandoned your way for mine in any part of my life, show me. And today, today, not tonight, not tomorrow, not when you've had a chance to think about it for a minute, but today, Holy Spirit, I want to drink the living water and never thirst again. And never feel drawn back to that pit again. And listen, everybody in the room, that pit's got a different name. See, sometimes those pits are named addiction. Sometimes they're named lust. Sometimes they're named depression. Sometimes they're, they're named anxiety. Sometimes they're named unforgiveness and resentment. Sometimes they're named self-hatred. Sometimes... We could go on and on and on. I don't know what, the, what, what your pit, what your cistern is named, but all I'm do, asking you to do is ask God to search your heart, reveal it, and then ask Him to give you water. And here's what that looks like, y'all. It's called repentance. And it simply means, God, I'm agreeing with you that you're right and I'm wrong. So from this day forward, I want to do things your way, but I need your help. I need your power. I need your spirit in my life so I can choose living water over a dead, dry cistern. I challenge you. As, 
because I'm going to be doing exactly what you're doing. Donna's going to sing, and we're going to ask the, the Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Show us, show us the pit that we've dug. Let's all pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, before we ask anything of you, we want to thank you for being a fountain of living water. And sometimes this world is so dry. So thank you, Lord, that we can find strength, grace, mercy, and love at this fountain that will never run dry. Lord, all across this room and those watching us online, we, we share one thing in common. We've all at one point tried to do things our own way. We've dug our own pit. So Lord, now, in this moment, right now, we declare with our voice that your way is the right way. And we choose to, to, to leave our pit alone and, and to push it aside, whatever the name of it is, and we will drink from a fountain that will never run dry. Jesus, thank you that you're living water. We worship you. Thank you for your goodness. God, I pray for everyone in this room that's made a conscious decision, a spiritual choice this morning to forsake our own way in lieu of yours, oh God. God, I pray you give them strength to walk away from that cistern that they've dug, that we've dug. I pray, God, that you would show them that life and life more abundant is available only at the foot of the cross and a Savior who hung there. His name is Jesus, and it's Him that we worship. It is Him that we love. I wonder if you can stand to your feet. Let's sing this chorus, and let's just leave this church today with worship in our heart for a God who cannot fail, who a God who loves us so much. God that loves us so much, He offers us living water. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none besides you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show of praise for his goodness for his 
living water. Amen. 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 God bless you. Hey, don't forget, if you want to be baptized, sign up on your connection card. Drop that in. That's coming up on the 15th. We'd love for you to celebrate baptism with us. Uh, we're going to need your t-shirt size on your connection card. Also, uh, Kathy's mom, Martha Durden's funeral tomorrow at Tim Stewart and Loganville. There's information on our Facebook page, or you can contact us here. We'll make sure that you've got all the information you need if you want to come be a part of that. God bless you. We love you. Have a great afternoon.